Hey you, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Your host today, Mishka Katkov, and the topic for today is going to be one of my favorite companies, King. And we are joined by two fantastic guests from King, Antoine Lanel, who heads growth at King, as well as Tom Maffam, who's the global head of partner success. In other words, he's heading the ad monetization business. So this podcast, we're going to talk about how King's marketing has evolved over time. We're going to talk about their view of top of the funnel versus sort of performance marketing user acquisition. Uh, We're going to look at performance marketing trends and King's long-term approach. We're going to talk about, of course, of course, we're going to talk about IDFA and how King is preparing for it. But we are also going to touch upon IDFV and King's cross-promotion strength. And finally, we are going to talk about ad monetization and how King has reinvigorated and how it's leading its ad monetization business, which is very unique and sort of a long-term approach. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I hope you review it, rate it, share it, do whatever, but I hope you get as much out of it as I did. And this podcast is brought to you by Iron Source. So Iron Source is not the spinach-based nutrition company, as the name might suggest, but it's actually a game tech company which builds technologies that'll help you guys to take your game to the next level. So the company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. And what sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop, which is actually something we're gonna talk about today, uh, and help developers supercharge growth in super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is the perfect partner for you. We at Deconstructor Fund are giant fans, as you may know, of IronSource, because it's truly a growth platform that developers of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, so it's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was 1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppsFlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. So welcome, everybody. And as always, I'm very excited for every podcast episode that we do because 
I get to choose who these podcast episodes are with. <laughs> so, so they're always very interesting for me. And the guests are always amazing because I'm the one inviting the guests. So this time around, we have two powerful guests from King. We've got Antoine Lenel, if I'm pronouncing correctly, and Hi. Tom Map Mapham. Uh, so, so guys, why don't you introduce yourself? So Antoine, what do you do at King? Sure. Hi. Um, so I'm uh, currently the vice president of growth uh, within uh, within King. I've been at King for like seven years now. Um, so I've seen I've seen a bit uh, a good chunk of the journey. I would say uh, that uh, we'll we'll talk about later. Um, and basically within growth, I basically uh, take care of uh, performance marketing, cross promotion. Uh, and various parts uh, within analytics and, um, and and some CRM as well. And you've been at King for seven years, so you've seen everything. Uh, so well, not everything. You know, <laughs> King is a King is a is a, it's an older company that everyone thinks because we started on the web a long time ago. So I, I haven't joined that journey yet. But let's see. You you've basically been since the Candy Crush started going up, and you've been through the whole Very journey. Good. So Very a lot good. of a lot wealth of knowledge. So great to have you in. So Tom, what about yourself? Hey, so I'm, I'm Tom. I head up what we call our partner success group within our ad monetization arm, and that's called Activision Blizzard Media. It's part of King. Uh, we serve the King Studios primarily, but we're also working with folks across Activision and Blizzard with all things ad monetization. So I joined the company about four years ago, and it's been a, a roller coaster ride as we've grappled with ad monetization and figured out how to bring that to um, our network of games. Fantastic to get you in. And you, you guys have a tremendous amount of DAU. Nobody even knows the exact number, but it's probably more than most of European countries. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of monetization and cross promotion to do and, and a lot of growing that has been done. So let's jump into, into the topics. And, and number one is, is what personally interests me a lot. And that is how King's marketing has evolved over the years. So early years, when I remember I started in Facebook gaming some like dozen years ago, and that's when King was, was really popping and going through the Facebook games. And before that, you had the Canvas games. And, and that was the sort of age where King was, was like the hyper-casual King. Like you were just blasting through, like all the puzzle games were coming in quickly, just testing how they work. And then it was, it was a very, like still exciting company. But back then, it was like the fastest moving company you can find, really fast tester. Um, and, and since then, like the, the growth era became with the Candy Crush, Candy Crush Saga and all the uh, all the other huge, huge, huge games and the Activision era where you started focusing more on franchises. So what have been sort of the biggest wins and the most important learnings over the year? So Antoine, seven years of experience. Uh, great question. I think um, King has uh, been able to uh, evolve during this, uh, this whole time and uh, our marketing approach has drastically changed Compared to uh, compared to the beginning, and when I when I look back, I would say we've been through probably three phases uh, from a marketing uh, marketing perspective. I think the first phase was during the hyper growth uh, that uh, that you talked about, where basically we've extensively leveraged the Facebook platform, uh, and uh, and basically marketing was here to amplify uh, from that uh, from that platform whether it was through virality or as well during those early days through the beginning of performance marketing, you know, that was starting. And as well, it was about this whole migration from Canvas players to mobile, because I think that was where King was 
ahead of the curve, it was in our ability to have multi-platform uh, game uh, gameplay, uh, and that worked uh, that worked really well. So that was the hyper growth phase. I think then we moved into the second phase, and the second phase was when when we brought a lot more content to our players, and we developed the second block even more with more. Um, type of gameplay and so on, and, and we introduced new franchises and so on. And during that phase where, um, where I was there, we launched uh, probably around 15 games uh, during, during those years. And, and the core component from our marketing uh, strategy was a lot based on cross-promotion, all right? Because our strategy was diversification, was uh, how could we extend the player lifetime value by making those players jump from one game to the other, all right? And I think that has been extremely successful. As you said, we've been able to build very strong new franchises uh, within uh, within King and uh, some titles that have hit like um, uh, very impressive uh, numbers on top grossing and top uh, and top uh, top down. So I said that was really the second phase, and then performance marketing in that space was more coming as a second stage to sustain the title growth that was strongly initiated with cross promo and performance marketing coming to uh, keep uh, keep uh, keep the growth uh, going on after after that. So basically, that was the time where the marketing was very much focused on the launches as such, and that's when we entered the phase three. And the phase three uh, started, uh, as you said, when. Uh, we decided to focus a lot more on our um, core titles, all right? And to say, okay, maybe we don't want to put all our marketing efforts on those launches, but we want to put more focus on our biggest titles. And that is something that we've started now a few, a few years ago, and that has shown um, amazing results because we've been able to bring some of our core titles, such as Candy Crush, back on growth. I mean, why? You know, the title is eight years old now, it's gonna be eight years old soon. And knowing that the eight year old title like Candy Crush is on the growth pattern again, is, is a remarkable, um, is quite a remarkable achievement. So, and that's, that's the second phase, that's the third, the third phase, uh, sorry, where then performance marketing is now as well fueling uh, some of that new growth trajectory that we are having on our, on our core titles. And at the same time, as we'll discuss later, We've always continued to have all those upper funnel activities to drive um, some uh, some of the brand uh, that uh, we all know with uh, with with Candy Crush. Now, if I answer your questions on on the key I th learning, I think this is this is a perfect answer, a, a very uh, nice kind of like a walk through the history. And if I can put some dates to it, so you've talked about three phases. Let me guess the uh, the years uh, when this happened. So I would say hyper growth on Facebook and migration from Canvas to mobile was about 212. Uh, probably that's, that's when really the free to play business kicked off. Um, and before that, I remember when, when King became the biggest uh, publisher on Facebook, I remember when it surpassed Zynga and that was like 211 or something like that. So, so I remember those days. Uh, and then I would say the new franchise launches. So this was a very interesting time. And this is where you talked about uh, your ability to do cross promotions, the uh, the portfolio thinking where you're acquiring player, but you're not acquiring player for a pl for a game, you're acquiring player for the king portfolio. So you're able to bid a little bit higher and, and, and that's what I assume. And there was a lot of focus on launches and that's probably 2012 to 2016. And back in those days, even, even like King's off game, like even on your bad day, like I'm not saying shuffle cats or 
or Blossom Blast would have been a bad game. But even those that didn't hit the top were making like 50 million. So that was a, that was a pretty, um, you know, a pretty staggering numbers for, for not like, you know, many companies would take that any day. Uh, and then your focus on big franchise, I, that would be probably after 216, uh, if I'm correct. Am I? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where as well, we learned a lot from uh, our new brand company, Activision Blizzard, which of course, I mean, when talking about managing big franchises, I mean, there's a lot to learn from Activision Blizzard. And I think getting that focus back on our core franchises, I think has really helped. And, uh, and, and again, as I said, it's a question of, of timing and so on. And it was the right timing to really invest again in our, in our core titles and bring it back, uh, back on board. All right. And, and since your kind of approach to marketing has evolved in three phases, then other things evolved too. So I wanted to ask about top of the funnel versus user acquisition. So you've done some massive brand campaigns over the years. And can you talk more about the goals of these campaigns and why do they fit your strategy and how do you measure the impact of these top of the funnel campaigns? And do you see King doing more of them in the future now that you are a franchise focused company? Yeah, I mean, it's true that King has always done a lot of uh, top of the funnel activities, uh, probably more than any other uh, game developer, I mean, especially on the, in, in the casual space. Uh, and that's something that we are, uh, we are very keen on. Um, what I want to make sure we do not oppose is the fact that user acquisition is very analytical and not the top of the funnel. So we don't just invest on the brand for the sake of investing on the brand. I think we always have a very analytical approach on both top of the funnel and end user acquisition. Now, what the top of the funnel really, uh, really brought us is this amazing brand equity. You know, I mean, uh, I think um, when you talk about the King Games, the brand equity that we are, uh, that we are having is, I mean, in another scale than, uh, than, most, of the, uh, than most of the developers which is then benefiting our user acquisition. And I think that's, that's where, and we, we're always learning, you know, about what is the right mix between top of the funnel and user acquisition? How do you generate interest and then convert uh, on it and so on? Because that's a bit the problem of user acquisition is that as you have the full attribution, for now you have it, you basically can, can invest as much as you want while top of the funnel, it's a lot more difficult to justify uh, some, uh, sometimes. And I think what we've been able to do, we've been able to put in place some measurement frameworks, whether it's through media mix modeling, uh, which is quite, quite standard, or whether it's by testing different go-to-market by country, you know, and try to see, okay, can we try a different media plan here, a different media plan there, and see whether we do see uplifts uh, that are coming from from those, uh, those different strategies. So I think for us, the brand is very important, but the brand is important because it brings a lot of value to King. Uh, and that's something that uh, we are very proud of to have such a strong brand. Uh, I mean, uh, and, um, and the same for, for our other franchises. And that's something that we will, uh, we will definitely continue uh, within, uh, within King. Well, that's good to hear. I, I love those uh, top of the, like, outdoor campaigns and then i remember when candy crush friends launched i think that was when it was the skyscraper that became like a candy crush game is that am i correct i, that, yeah, I think that, that was, was like the, 
Yeah, in New York. Like that was the latest one. Like those are fun. And I love when Supercell does similar type of stuff where they do different events and in like Korea and whatnot. And I, I think I love when mobile game companies do it because it kind of like people understand like, oh, yeah, these are big games. Like they're played by tens of millions of players. Like they're much bigger than the Call of Duties, or the, except Call of Duty is now pretty big. But <laughs> anyways, uh, so so as your uh, so how how like in the long time like like when you're looking at these performance marketing trends and and looking at the uh, the, the long-term approach so what was clear is that as you've been investing more and more into franchises and and investing into your brand equity you didn't jump on to the latest craze that has been happening during the two to three years in in performance marketing uh which was you know the shock advertising era with with matching the mansions and, the, and then the uh the gardenscapes and homescapes and then that that kind of evolved into the fake playables uh that that then got integrated to the game so they're not fake playables anymore so can you talk talk about why did you choose not to run after these trends and instead and and how how difficult it was not to do what everybody else is doing and and seemingly is very successful at it um yeah just talk about the decisions that that led to you know stay on your own road yeah of course of course so, I mean, first off, I mean, of course, that's something that we are, we've looked and we're looking at on those, uh, those, fake, uh, those fake ads and so on. I mean, uh, but, uh, but we need to be consistent when we decide to go for a strategy, you know, with what I just said before, that we're investing significantly into our brand and so on. Then you, when you invest in your brand, you need to be authentic, you know, you need to, to make sure you build trust with your, uh, with your players. And, and I don't think you build trust by prom promising something through the upper funnel activities, but ultimately trying to convert with something that is not authentic, all right? So you need to bring um, something consistent uh, to, uh, to the player because that's the other part that we are really working on. Um, you know, we believe that marketing, we're not here. Marketing is not made to generate installs, all right? Uh, and that's one of the key learnings that we have here at King. Marketing is beyond installs. It's about installs, it's about engagement, it's about churn reduction, it's about all of those aspects, you know? And while with fake ads, you can generate a lot of installs, you don't necessarily generate a lot of long-term engagement, you know, into, uh, into your game and so on. And, and that's why as well, when we invest on upper funnel activities, you basically get some user acquisition, but you get a lot of engagement from your active players because this is the key, you know, as well um, as well for uh, for us. So we are we are super keen on bringing. We are here for the long run, so we need to bring the best player experience for the long run with a maximum authenticity. Now, beyond that, I think as as a leader of the one of the leader in the industry, we do have uh, a responsibility in in the ecosystem, you know? Uh, and uh, when I look uh, nowadays at my uh, Facebook feed, um, it does look like uh, my spam box. Uh, and I think, I think there, there is a responsibility when you are a big developer to, to make sure you protect an ecosystem, you know? I mean, back in the days, I've been a lot, I've been working a lot on CRM and email and so on. And I can tell you, spam works. On email, it was working. 
Then what happened is that then Gmail arrived, etc., and they've been cleaning the system so that they got rid of all of that. And now email is a very difficult challenge to crack, a lot more than what it was. So there is a responsibility, I think, as, as an industry to make sure we do not basically uh, damage what, what we need for a living, you know, because that's, that's the long run. We're here for the long run. King has been here for a long time and will be here for a very long time. So that's, that's a little bit the way, the way we see things. And that's and that's good because you have been for a long time and you have been growing without, without really you know any kind of a tricks, uh, just just focusing on on the game games retaining extremely well and and growing through that and acquiring users that are playing multiple king games. So it makes sense. And you're not the only company. There are other ones that that have stayed away. Like Supercell is a good example as well. They they haven't gone onto the road of of faking their ads and they're staying true to their game and and letting their you know, in the sense, product speak for itself and marketing just supporting the growth of the product. Um, so as we're talking about this, this sort of, a, you know, the trends that have been going on in performance marketing, the latest trend that kind of reshapes everything is the, uh, the, the depreci depreciation of IDFA. So as a head of growth, like what is your prediction of the impact and how will that shape the ecosystem? And on, if you can say on a high level, like how are how are you preparing and viewing it from King? Well, first off, I mean it's a very difficult uh, question because uh, it's a moving piece, as you know. But by moving, it's on a daily basis, uh, so it's uh, it's very hard uh, to know for us what's gonna be uh, what's gonna be the impact. Of course, it's a it's a top priority uh, for us, and we're working on it. I think. Um, I mean, we see that as um, uh, as a short-term challenge that will not impact our long-term vision. Uh, in the sense that uh, we do have a vision, we talked about our marketing strategy. Our marketing strategy will not be impacted uh, by uh, by by that. We continue to invest on the uh, on the personnel. We continue to invest uh, into uh, into performance uh, into performance marketing. Yes, we will have to adapt. We have to adapt to the new uh, to the new situation. How are we going to adapt? I mean, we're working with all our partners to find uh, to find the, the best solution uh, for us uh, on uh, on this uh, on this matter. But I think right now it's uh, it's probably a bit early for us to to get um, a good understanding of what the impact will be for the industry and uh, King more specifically. Yeah, I understand. And, and it's good that you have this sort of a sound approach to your marketing. So um, let's talk about then IDFV. And, and what I mean by that is you have a massive portfolio of puzzle games that you guys have been doing for a long time and you have mastery in making all type of puzzle games. So to me, looking from the side, it seems that the IDFA depreciation and the importance of IDFV allowing effective cross promotion, basically your second, second, uh, second phase of marketing growth, like we're kind of going back to that and, and this whole depreciation might be an advantage to you. So can you talk more about your approach to cross promotion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first off, our network is our biggest asset. All right. So that's something that we are heavily investing in, but that's something that we are protecting as well. I think there is a big, big difference between IDFA and IDFV, meaning IDFA, you're going to do an ad in another app so you will do whatever it takes to take that player inside your game. Now on IDFV, it's very different because you would not take uh, 
you might not do everything possible to just take the player out of one of your game into another game. You know, and for example, uh, back to the the fake ad. That's the last place you should do a fake ad is on the cross promotion. You know, just to be clear, because like about destroying trust, that would be the worst. But um, but I think it goes as well with what I was just mentioning earlier that we need to focus as well on engagement and not only on generating downloads. Which on the phase two we were using cross promotion to generate downloads. Now we think about uh, cross promotion as a wider thing where it's not only about the download, it's about the engagement. And how do you engage? It's more about making players navigate within the portfolio games. We have a lot of events running from in one game or the other and making players aware of what's happening in, uh, in the network. And of course the IDFV is something that 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 we find that, that we find useful. Now we don't have much data, you know. I mean, we have little data about our players, but we have a good understanding about our players, especially the ones who've been around for a very long time. So we know what they like, we know their behavior, and we just want to make sure we 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 propose to our players the right thing to do, the right next thing to do, whether when they're stuck on a level for for too long and so on. So we. We, we use cross-promotion more as a tool within the player life cycle rather than a pure acquisition tool as it may have been in the past. Got it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and overall, when you're talking about marketing and King's marketing and you're talking about like these are our approaches, we don't do fake ads and so forth, uh, listeners should understand that King is extremely data-driven company. Uh, like you have data scientists for days. So you do use data. It's not only <laughs> like mantras and, and whatnot. Uh, you, are, you are very data-driven. So, so that's, that's important. Um, so let's talk about ad monetization. And I think ad monetization is, is really interesting, not only because you have tens of millions of, of, of players, but because it's, it's kind of a story. Like you used to have ads, then you took away all the ads, and there was a, there was it was a pretty public thing when King removed ads from the games. I, I don't remember when it happened, but I would assume like 2014 or something like that. And then ads came back to the games, and and King held the implementation for ads for a long time. But it's now been a few years that you've had ads, and and the approach of integrating ads was was very careful. Um, and can you talk more about basically how were you able to get the teams? To put ads back into the games, and how have you measured? Uh, how you managed to measure the growth of the uh, of the ad business? So, Tom. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, so it's been a, a really interesting journey bringing the tackling ads monetization from the point of view of uh, you know, having an enormous network, a really passionate player base, and wanting to make sure that we do it in a player centric fashion. And that's really been the the driving. Um, fundamental for how we've approached the opportunity. I think that and the arrival of a rewarded video as something that works and that players really embrace within free-to-play, I think those were sort of the two building blocks for us. Um, and I think that putting that first, what it meant is that for any ad experience, uh, we, we've set the standard where it needs to deliver a really authentic um, addition to the overall game and be respectful of the game, the game team, and their vision for it to work. Um, and we've been willing to say no to things that don't fit with that. And I think that's been crucial. We've, at many stages, uh, decided to leave easy money on the table in order to take sometimes the longer but higher road to delivering a better player experience. 
Um, I think the end result is that we continue to offer premium games uh, and the ads in them are part of that experience. So we were intentionally trying to avoid some of the more spammy tactics um, that, that some developers are taking. And again, this is, comes back to taking that really player-centric approach, um, being respectful to the IP, the game, and also the game teams. I think game teams often are the big, biggest advocates for the players, and, and they've certainly had a very, very strong and powerful voice in, in the approach we've taken. Um, coming back to sort of the, the timing and, and rewarded video as a, a, a format that scales, I think what we've seen is for free-to-play and mobile, the, the primary business model has changed very quickly. Um, and today, if you're choosing to not run in-game advertising, you are setting yourself at a disadvantage to your competitors um, when it comes to building a game that you can market and, and promote profitably, um, per you know, what Antoine has shared earlier on. Um, if we compare games with entertainment, advertising is fairly late to the game, excuse the bad pun, um, because developers haven't had to even think about it. We've had you know, the paid model and then free to play, and, and both have been super effective. Um, but I think today the industry is now at a point where advertising is becoming a crucial component of the business model. Um, but the user experience hasn't had enough time to catch up. So I think what we're seeing is developers trying stuff, but it's early days. And we're not television, we're games. And we haven't really figured out the model for how to bring an ad advertise the way that's player-centric, um, positive to the overall experience, and, and well-integrated. And so really a big part of what we've been doing is helping the game teams navigate this fairly new area of the industry that's really notorious for confusing jargon and third parties offering all sorts of value in exchange for running their software in your game and maybe not fully transparent about all of the things that it may be doing or, or sharing. Um, so we've, we've helped game teams navigate that. Um, and part of that is just building a set of best practices and case studies for how to do this well. Um, supporting with strategy, really understanding the objectives of each game team and helping them use advertising to support their objectives rather than the other way around, which I think for, for some developers, they, they fall into that trap of being too money driven and then doing things that don't really work for the game or for players. Um, the other thing that's been really helpful for us is being able to back that up with a world-class combination of first-party tech that we have built in-house, as well as thoughtful choices around which third-party providers to plug in and where that makes sense. Um, and I think this has helped the game teams get more value from the broad opportunity area than would have been possible um, without that kind of investment or without compromising on the user experience. Um, I think just a couple more thoughts on this. Um, we sort of see concerns from game teams typically falling into three categories. The first would be, you know, why would we bother with ads? We're Candy Crush, we make quite a lot of money, don't think we need to bother. Um, second category might be around user experience. Why would we do ads? Is it really net positive for our players? The third category would be more around technology. Is the technology stable? Is it performant? Is it trustworthy? Those kinds of questions. And, and we found it super important to tackle these upfront because you need to get to a place with a game team where you're confident that you've got strong answers to each of those questions. And if you don't, you do need to go back to the drawing board and, uh, and work it through. Fortunately, the business model speaks for itself today. And so we've, you know, we've, we've just found that the additional revenue makes a ton of sense. 
but it's as important as the second point around user experience, which is we often find players asking for more. Um, and this works across, you know, across segments, but we, we generally see having an opt-in format that's not forced on players where they can choose to engage uh, in exchange for getting something meaningful in game just works really well. And it done right can be a win-win-win where players are, are ha as happy as the, um, the accountants. Um, and then the third piece around technology, we put a huge investment into building technology that is stable. It has a very low footprint on resource consumption within the app. It, we've dealt with any crashes or any type of instability um, timelessly. And I think that's been super important. And again, you don't always have that luxury. If you're only working with third-party tech, often you just have to deal with what you're given and continually haggle and harass your partners to, to deal with issues. Whereas I think taking more ownership of that ourselves has given us more control over something that's really critical for, for the overall business. Um, and I think maybe just sort of to, to wrap up, um, this has partly been a, you know, a luxury due to our size, um, which we've fully taken advantage of, but it's allowed us to take that high road at many forks in the road, where we've seen a choice between investing time and energy in a solution that addresses one of these key concerns, um, but has taken a little longer to, to get right. Uh, and we've consistently aimed to, to take the high road. Um, and, and I think that's paid off, not just in terms of the results over the medium to longer term, but it's also helped really build trust with the game teams who, who are working on this and, and you know, care deeply about the quality of experience um, and the overall sentiment of their players to the game. And I think that's been crucial to, to achieving the success we've had so far. And as I said, I think this is early stages for, for ad monetization. Mm. And we're looking forward to figuring out what are the models that are going to work going forward for the industry. So I got, I got a couple of questions. So one is ad organization. So I remember this, I think this podcast episode came in on Iron Source Level Up podcast where Brian Sapp from Jam Cities, uh, head of UA, he was talking about how ad monetization org is kind of like the flip side of the coin of the performance marketing organization. So I'm interested in the first question is basically how, what does your ad organization look like? Is it sitting close to performance marketing? And um, you mentioned that you have first party tech. So, so that kind of would make sense. And also the second part of what I wanted to ask about the, uh, the ad organization is, are you focusing on, on, cause you said high quality ads and very player centric. Are you focusing on getting more brand ads into your games? Um, given that, you know, your audience pretty well, I think a lot of your users have Facebook opted in because they did that a long time ago. So I would assume that, you know, your audience much better than, than most of, of the companies. So that's question one. And the question number two would be kind of like your advice to other uh, ad monetization heads. Like how do you win the trust of a game team? Uh, to implement ads, especially of a successful game team? Great, great questions. And I think um, I'll, I'll tackle the second one. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the question. Um, but the first one, I probably want to bounce with Antoine because naturally the question relates to how do we partner across the business. Um, and I think, first of all, we've grown very quickly. So we've gone from that decision a few years ago to get back into ad monetization. Uh, very quickly to scaling this up as a crucial part of our overall business. And naturally that's meant building a large team. And um, we have folks who are primarily focused on building the, the technology platform that we have, um, as well as the, uh, the demand plugins that we have. And I'll touch on that in relation to your second question in a bit. Um, 
as well as a, you know, a significant direct sales team that um, is out in market. Um, selling, obviously, our, our inventory and our, our, our um, network, but also doing a lot of evangelization in the industry around games as a vehicle for brand marketers. And I'd say when we started out four years ago, we got a ton of opposition um, or just um, not a generally a, a warm welcome from brand advertisers. They weren't used to buying um, within games. And that's been a, a dramatic change in the last few years. So we've seen that be a big shift and one that we feel that we've contributed to in our own way. Um, so we have that organization that's very focused on ad monetization. Um, I think we've, what we've found is it's really important to partner closely with game teams. And so the group that I head up is very much embedded with our studio teams around the world, uh, primarily here in Europe, but we work very closely with the Call of Duty mobile team as well. And that's been important to, to really follow through on what I was describing earlier, which is putting the game first and really trying to understand the strategy of the game and then helping them navigate all of the options because ad monetization isn't simply a switch. You've got a ton of choices that you can make. Um, and it's important to make those in a way that's true to, to your broader strategy and vision for the game. And so that team is distributed, decentralized, and sitting alongside each of those games, working with them, really understanding their strategy, and then helping them make choices at every step of the, um, the way around the user experience, the, the kind of demand mix that we bring to the game, um, the segmentation, the optimization. Uh, there's, there's a host of decisions that we've, we've built case studies on. Uh, and then we help the game teams navigate those. So it's a mix of both sort of a central function as well as these arms reaching out into the different game teams. Um, and then to your point on marketing, um, at a certain stage, we realized that we weren't working closely enough with Antoine and, uh, and the marketing team. And we knew that there was a huge opportunity to connect the dots uh, around that monetization to acquisition. So we, we gave the initiative a, a a special name um, and devoted uh, some, some fantastically talented individuals who piled in lots of passion and energy to make it happen. We called it ads fueled user acquisition. And we basically started with that hypothesis of can we use ad monetization to open up opportunities to acquire profitably in new markets uh, or, or new segments? And naturally, I think, you know, this is pretty established at this point, but this was a few years ago. So we were genuinely interested in, in whether we could prove up a hypothesis. That was a success and that's really grown up to become part of i would say business as usual but uh, i'll let antoine chime in in case i'm uh, misrepresenting it yeah yeah first off i want to kill the myth that the money that ads monetization is making is the money we're using for performance marketing this is not happening uh, but we're having as you said we're having a very analytical approach in everything we do you know and basically what does ads do what does it do it increase monetization in our game. And when you increase monetization in our game, what do you do? You increase the lifetime value. And if you increase the lifetime value, then you can start bidding more. And therefore you can get more of the performance marketing uh, spend to fuel, uh, to fuel the growth. And I think that's, um, that's very much where the, all the synergies uh, have, uh, have happened about trying to maximize the opportunity on the ads side is definitely helping performance marketing, but it's helping as it's helping the whole company. It's helping the whole company because we maximize our monetization. And as we know in this business, it's all about initiating the, the, the virtual circle of 
momentization, which means more growth, more growth, more monetization, et cetera, et cetera. And that has definitely helped uh, our franchises to, to, uh, to grow in the, in, the recent, uh, in the recent years, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's just a difficult challenge. I've I've kind of uh, been in 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 those places where, if a game team is making three to five million dollars a day, and you come in there like, listen, guys, this little small thing, and you'll be making fifty thousand clean every day, and they're like, what is that? <laughs> like we're making three million a day. Get out of here. And then any other one would be fifty thousand clean every day. That's awesome. So, so I, I imagine the challenges and, and I'm not saying 50, you're probably making way more through ad monetization, but, but even, even at those sums, like there's perspectives in it. So that's why I was asking how challenging it is to implement yep. ads business, even though it's profitable, even though it's very easy, but when you have games that are so incredibly successful, um, the challenge of kind of selling and getting them behind basically free money, if you will, and actually better player experience by allowing the players we're not monetizing to to watch ads in order to continue playing or, or, you know, whatever it is through rewarded ads. It's tough, even though it's, it's an easy yeah. selling proposition, but it's tough when you have a very, um, I don't want to say a fat cat, but when you have a well-fed cat, <laughs> you're trying to give them a cookie. <laughs> right. And, and that's a legit question. You know, if you're making three to five million a day, then, you know, is this really the right thing to do? And, and I think the one thing that's helped us is we've, um, taken the point of view of that exec producer and, and aim to see it from their point of view. And in some cases, it doesn't make sense to do ads today or before a game. Um, and I think being aware that it's not always simply a yes, 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 I think is helpful. So you need to know sort of the, the strengths and weaknesses of the approach. Um, but that said, I think the business model has evolved and matured very quickly. So we're starting to see that if you're launching a free-to-play game, um, you've got to be very confident to not do ads because you're just letting go of this chunk of revenue that you could very easily be earning. And then if you go into that second point I mentioned, your players will often welcome it. So I think obviously you need to be mindful of your genre, your category, the IP you're working with, those are all important. But I think within free-to-play mobile, it's becoming very much expected from the majority of players. And certainly in certain markets, it's, it can be the dominant monetization um, channel. So again, if you're not offering it, um, those players may be in fact turned away by having to either pay or not pay, and there's nothing in between, um, which, which we've seen can be a negative um, driver for player sentiment. Um, and I think the last piece, sometimes you get very um, uh, EPEs who are more um, concerned around the technology, uh, which could be a combination of stability, but also privacy. And I think you need to be sure of what you're doing. And I think this has been a big area for us that we've invested in uh, to make sure that what we're offering the teams is high performant uh, and uh, there's, there's no shady activity going on, especially in this area where there's really no room for, uh, for gray. So I think that that's the other sort of the third prong of, of selling those, those EPs on, on the idea of ads. Um, you mentioned brand demand as well. And uh, this is going a little off script, so <laughs> let's see how this goes. But uh, when it comes to demand, of course, we work with um, the, some of the larger networks, but I think something that we do differently is that we've invested heavily in a direct sales effort, which goes out and takes our unique audience to brand advertisers and looks to find a really good match with premium uh, high-end brands. 
that's been really effective. That's a big chunk of our um, what's driven our growth. And it hasn't stopped with rewarded video. We've had a lot of fun playing with additional, more native formats, uh, looking at a live op within a game like Candy Crunch and thinking through how that could be um, integrated with a third party brand in a way that makes sense for both the brand and the game. And I think one of the fun uh, biggest successes there was late last year, we, uh, we had Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart in Candy Crush as the, you know, the classic cutout characters. There was an ostrich running around and it was really fun. Uh, everyone loved it. Uh, we even had the two of them tweeting um, a video of them playing the game. And um, I think that's, that's an example of where it really can come together and, and work well for all parties. Um, and so we continue to look for opportunities like that. That sounds great. And plus you have the, uh, the wide portfolio of, of not the key franchise games that allow you to test anything. And as a data-driven company, you're always able to present the numbers showing that this is actually improving the engagement, improving the retention, and the EPs are getting behind it. Because I assume that money is not the motivator if you're an EP on, 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 um, on Candy Crush Saga or any of the crushes. Uh, so so that, makes, that makes all the sense. Um, I want to thank you both for, for coming on the podcast. And again, nothing against ad monetization. This podcast is ad monetized. So, so, so I'm, I'm definitely in favor, but I want to, I want to really thank you both for coming on the podcast and, and, and talking about how King has grown and continues to grow and how you guys approach performance marketing, how you approach ad monetization. I think it's fantastic to hear from market leaders, uh, how you guys are doing things and how your approach has evolved over the time. So thank you to both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Ika. It's been great to join you.